I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Fuller's London Pride, an outstanding amber ale and the official beer of Premiership Rugby. And don't forget, you can now watch the full extended video podcast of today's show at londonpridebeer.co.uk. Support with pride and please drink responsibly. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Hello, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to my rugby podcast. This week, we've got a very special episode for you as we look ahead to the Premiership final on Saturday. The battle is, of course, going to be between two giants of the English game, Leicester Tigers and Saracens. So I'm delighted to be joined by a former Saris legend who had a very illustrious career, winning five Premiership titles. He also, of course, represented England and the British and Irish Lions. It's Brad Barrett. Brad, it's great to have you on. How are you, by the way? Thank you very much for having me, Lawrence. Yeah, suddenly you blink and it's final time. I think we had two fantastic semi-finals last week, so it's going to be an amazing week ahead. Well, listen, we look at finals time and it's a very familiar face in Saracens. And talking about familiar faces, I'm delighted to be finally on the same episode as <laughs> the Queen of Sports Rugby Broadcasting. It is, of course, Sarah Eldon. Sarah, thank you for hosting the show today. You're a far more accomplished, far more beautiful and far better presenter than I am. That's not true. Uh, now, I know that you're down at Twickenham and you're going to be taking a behind the scenes trip and keeping people up to date with what happens in the build up to a Prem final but uh, I guess you've got a few questions for us both have you? I have yeah and preparations are kind of underway here already actually we've just come out now we're just in the Mario Hotel um, next door we all needed a coffee um, but you guys both have obviously played Twickenham many times so yeah I thought we'd have a little chat before I took everyone around we'll start with you then Laura because your visit to Twickenham on the pitch came long before you actually pulled that jersey on am I right in saying that? Uh, yes, absolutely. I actually played on the width of Twickenham pitch a long time ago for the under eights or under nines of my school that live locally. And I did manage to score a try on the width of the pitch. But Twickenham Stadium has changed over the years. It's obviously as an Englishman and it's our national stadium. So it is iconic. It's got a lot of history there. And, you know, it's just one of those stadiums where I think when I first turned up, there was maybe 40,000 was the attendance, maybe 44,000. And it's obviously grown and grown into what it is today. So, yeah, very special place for me, not just as a, you know, when I was playing rugby, but obviously growing up as well. I would have loved to see you as an eight-year-old. What was an eight-year-old Lawrence Delalio like? A lot smaller, put it that way. A lot <laughs> With I more played, hair. <laughs> I played, uh, yeah, I didn't, I mean, you start life on the wing. What? You, were you actually? Yeah, absolutely. You? Played okay. on the wing. And then you realise that no one in England throws you the board on the wing. Um, <laughs> and, it, it, and it gets really cold. Uh, and therefore, I sort of started moving my way gradually further and further towards the action. And then when you start <laughs> playing up front, you realise actually there's a lot more fun because 
you get the ball first, basically, and then you decide who gets it after that. And then you pass it out to the pretty boys in the back like Brad. Uh, so, Brad, can you remember the first time you were ever at Twickenham? I'm sure you can. Did it have that sense of history, that sense of occasion for you? Well, funny enough, I actually attended a, an England international in 1990. So I think I would have been four or five years old at the time. Obviously, grandparents were English and my mom's brother and her family all lived in London at the time. So I don't remember much, but I do remember a photo of being in Twickenham before the big redevelopment of it. But I think anyone who is a keen rugby follower, a lover, you know, has a huge appreciation and love of Twickenham. It's not called HQ for no reason. It's the home of rugby, where it started. You know, even as a kid growing up in South Africa, it would have always been on your bucket list of stadiums to play at. That's interesting, because Lawrence, I mean, you recall how the stadium became known, I guess, as Fortress Twickenham, because it was that period, wasn't there, between 99 and 2004? Was it kind of a 19-match winning run, I think, for England during that period? What were those years like? Did you feel almost invincible as a team? Um, Well, they were a lot of fun, but I mean, any team that you play for, whether club or province or international team, you want to try and, you know, create that atmosphere, particularly at home, where you're kind of winning games and unbeatable, but... You know, there's good sides that come through the door and, and you want to try and make it as uncomfortable as possible for those teams. And we had a spell there for a long time where results went our way, where we started to build some real dominance. And I guess it becomes quite an intimidating place for people to play. But, you know, I've got, as I said, some very early memories of Twickenham, not just as a player. I went to watch the World Cup final there in 1991. I watched England lose. I watched England win a Grand Slam. And I remember being in the crowd, I think, when Philippe Saint-André scored that wonder try. And then England went on to win the Grand Slam that day. And uh, I played for the England under-19s the day before. And it sort of, something happened that day that made me think, you know what, one day I'd love to be able to run out there myself and do something like that. And, uh, yeah, fortunately enough, was able to do that with both club and country. Yeah, one thing I've always wondered, actually, Brad, and I'll ask you this, how different is it playing in a venue like Twickenham in a, a final compared to that of when you run out there for your country? Is it a very different feeling or is it quite similar? I think it is different. Again, you know, you play in a big England test match in the Six Nations or in the autumn. Let's get a whole sense of the whole crowd coming together. You know, I think you've got 90% of crowd behind you. The emotions are high. Where I guess in a premiership final, there's often people who actually expected the team to make it that have joined the crowd. It's probably a 50-50 split. It doesn't quite feel like a home game. So, you know, my experience is that the great days at Twickenham with the internationals are phenomenal. Uh, you know, one of my fondest memories would have been for England in 2012 uh, against the All Blacks. And the feeling and the emotion and the electricity in the air that day was something I'll never forget. But I think obviously on a Sari's hat, again, it's a few factors that you really have to get right. Often you come to premiership final time, it's in the summer, it's in June, it's a lot hotter than you've ever experienced. You're in a cauldron atmosphere and I think it's a team that can manage their emotions the best that really come out tops. Because often you go into a game like this expecting something and often it unfolds in a different way. And I think it's the teams that can be adaptable and be able to mold their style of play to what's needed on the day that ultimately prevail. And I know you haven't asked it, but probably that's, for me, where I see Sarri's edging it this weekend. You look at the spine of that team of Good, Farrell, Billy, Jamie George, Mako, talking about five guys who've been in this environment 10, 12, 14 times in big games. Leicester had a phenomenal season, you know, huge respect to Steve Borthwick. And again, another teammate, Richard Wigglesworth, who've done a, an amazing job Again, they're not going to come over and roll over. But for me, sometimes these big games, that big match experience does prove to be quite powerful. 
We're definitely going to be speaking more about that now. But I find that really interesting that it's almost like a different mindset, is it? Playing at Twickenham for England than that of what it is for your club? Yeah, it is very much so. I mean, it, you know, the thing about the way that the Premiership final, I mean, I, I love the, the one-off occasion like that. I think it's special. Obviously, it never used to be like that. It was always the, the team that finished at the top at the end of however many rounds you had. But the, just having that one-off occasion does make it very different because, as Brad alluded to there, the rugby that you play all season is just part of getting you to the final. And then you've still got to win the, the big one-off occasion. And the weather can be a factor, a huge factor, all the experience, the preparation. The most important thing, and I know I say this a lot, but there's only ever two emotions in rugby and in sport, and it's you either win or you lose. You're either happy or you're not. And, you know, experiencing the not very happy is, is just not, I mean, yes, it's part of what we have to grow as players and people and learn how to lose, but it's not really the preferred option. So it is about timing your run to perfection. It's about trying to work out as coaches and players, how do you get the best out of yourself and everyone around you? What you're looking for on that day is the very best performance of the season so far. And the emotions in the build-up to a Prem final are there. You know, your guys are on edge all week in training. There's a real excitement and nervousness. But your job is just to calm everyone down and say, look, we're not going to win the trophy on Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, it's about what happens on Saturday. And being able to release all of those emotions collectively at the same time against a very worthy opponent. So you're always playing the best team in the final. And it's just about timing it. And not just as players, as coaches as well. They've got to get their preparations right. You've got to just time it so it all comes together at uh, whatever it is, three o'clock on Saturday. We obviously, as you mentioned last, we're going to be walking around uh, Twickenham a little later. We're going to be going into the changing rooms. So Brad, give us an idea of what being in those changing rooms are like um, in that stadium pre-match. Nervous energy. Your whole sort of match day preparation is slightly different. I think with the travel and the expected chaos around the stadium, you usually get there a little bit earlier. I mean, in my experience with Saracens, we did that. We had our pre-match meal at the stadium. So everything is slightly different to what the norm is. Even with away games, you have a pretty set formula of when you arrive, where you have your meal, how early you arrive at the stadium. Where the Prem Final is a little bit different, you're spending a bit longer there. And I think all those feelings that Lawrence addressed in terms of keeping the emotion down for the right moment, because... It can really, really dampen and take so much energy away from you when you're constantly thinking about it. So being able to put aside kickoff until it arrives, but keeping that relaxed type of engaged communication between the team, I think is pivotal to making sure that you're in the right place for kickoff. What were you like in the dressing rooms, Lawrence, pre-match? You got a chest pumping going on. Well, no, listen, I mean, obviously, there's things that are said in the dressing room that you wouldn't say to any in any other walk of life, really. <laughs> you wouldn't get away with it, really. But <laughs> the thing about playing for your club, and it is different to your country, yes, you know, you get to know the, the guys at international level, but the club journey, these are people that you spend every day of every week of every month with. There's a deep-rooted understanding of them as rugby players, but also as, as human beings, as people. So I think it's a very special connection with that group. And the more time that you spend together, the more that connection grows stronger and stronger and you create memories and you create, you know, hopefully very positive memories about what happens. But it's very transparent in that changing room. You know, you it's about, for me, it's always been about connecting the head and the heart. Once you're in the changing room with 10 minutes to go, you know, Brad or I, we're not going to teach people how to be technically any better than they already are. And most of them are pretty gifted anyway. It's about finding something that you can hook around the head and the heart that makes them go out and elevates their performance. I mean, Owen Farrell and George Ford are going to give you nine or 10 out of 10 anyway. 
You know, you'd have to worry about those guys, but really it's about lifting everyone to the same level and trying to deliver their best performances all at the same time. And yeah, listen, most of the time I was the underdog in the changing room. You know, we weren't expecting necessarily to win the game. And that's a pretty good place to be, I think, because you've got a point to prove and you go out there and, and you deliver. And I've always been a big believer in starting games well most of the time. And it's not always the case, but the team that's generally winning at half time wins the game. So, you know, you can't sit back and wait for the opposition to impose their game on you. You've got to go out there and come out the blocks fast and never stop, basically, until you're walking up the steps to pick up the trophy. And that's the way it goes. It's a very special place, those changing rooms. And I'm lucky enough to have played in a lot of big games there. I did lose, ironically, one to Saracens, but they had a very good side in those days, as they do now. They're, you know, Lina, Seller, Francois Pinar. So I didn't mind losing one final. I think it's important to taste defeat every now and again, because it makes you cherish the wins as well 100 which and you both obviously played in numerous finals and here's a question for you brad which of those premiership finals sticks out in the memory more so than any other well, i think to lawrence's point there one of the sad realities are or the losses stick with you a lot longer than the wins it's that really sort of bitter pill to swallow it's a hero or zero scenario where you know one team it's absolute jubilation the other it's despair in many ways, I put a lot of Saracen's success in latter years down to some of those early learnings. I think in our first season in 2010, I think the season before Saracen had finished ninth, maybe in the Prem, it was part of that revolution where Brendan Fenter took over. We got to the final. I think we're leading up until maybe 78, 79 minutes. Kickoff happens. Scott Hamilton takes it off and they end up scoring. And, you know, you get the sense of there was so much expectation and being a young guy at the time, I think it does haunt you for some time. And then similarly, in 2013, you know, Saracens went back to back, losing against Toulon at the Millennium Stadium in the Champions Cup final. The following week, which was how it was done back then, you had to play a Premier final and we, we lost an extra time to Northampton. And I felt those were two huge galvanizing moments for the club because, again, it made you appreciate the journey as much as the destination. And I think that's always been a mantra that Saracens has lived by. If, if we're going to judge ourselves only by what happens in the final day of the final season, we won't really get the best out of people day to day. So I think from that point on, we started to appreciate that it's the little things that you do every day and the things that you're able to impart on your teammates beside of you that will ultimately get you back to those positions and hopefully find a way of winning. So for me, again, you spoke about the ones I enjoyed most. It was probably that one in 2011. Again, we were a team without any internationals. Steve Borthwick was the only active international in that team at the time. You know, he led the team phenomenally well and we were able to, you know, repeat what we had done the last year and get into the final again. And then similarly, which probably comes as a weird surprise, I think it might be 2017. The reason it stands out so much is because Saracens had had a pretty poor season. I think for our standards at that time, we lost in the Champions Cup quarterfinal against Leinster away. And in many ways, it had been a bit of a humbling. It had been a comprehensive loss, I think. To that point, there was a run of games in the Premiership where we may have lost seven or eight on the trot. And for a long part, it felt like a really deep, dark hole. But I think that Leinster game is where we were able to find ourselves and find a way of going back to basics and what really makes this team tick. And I think we went a consecutive sort of eight or nine victories on the trot to get a home semi-final eventually win. So it's often in these trying times that you find the most satisfaction when you're able to call yourself up. Yeah, and it's interesting, Lawrence. It's often, it's almost like the run-up to the final is what makes winning the final more special. 
Am I be fair in saying that? Yeah, well, you have to time it correctly. I mean, I, sport has always been about great rivalries, you know, whatever it might be in any sport. And I think at the time that I was lucky enough to play in Prem finals, that, that Leicester and, and Wasps had this incredible rivalry. Leicester obviously back there again, Wasps aren't. But, you know, I can remember the last season I played and I retired from international rugby after the World Cup, having been beaten by South Africa in the final. I got back to the club and we were bottom of the premiership table. I mean, it's hard to believe, really. And then we went on a run of 13 matches unbeaten that took us all the way to Twickenham. And we played against, you guessed it, Leicester in the final and we were able to win. So I think it's that journey, that last part of the season that takes you kind of, you know, you just get on this winning run and it becomes very infectious. But, you know, like Brad, I've got lots of very positive memories that we created. And that's kind of what you read, the messages you reinforce. You know, you don't want people to go away for the rest of their life wondering and regretting about, you know, not winning this game or that game. It's inevitably going to happen. But when you get to Twickenham, you want people to create those special memories. And I suppose 2005 was probably the one that WASP fans would look back on and say that they were most proud of that. I think it was Martin Johnson's last game, Neil Back's last game, John Wells's last game. And we were, you know, unfortunately the people that spoiled the party really, but uh, we did it so emphatically. When you prepare as a group of players and coaches, and it's not often that this happens where everything that you prepared for comes off in every detail. And that's quite satisfying because it very rarely happens in a game of rugby where things go to plan. But on that particular day, it did. And uh, it was a very special feeling. And, you know, we were only used to playing in front of about 10,000 people at High Wycombe. And then suddenly you come to Twickenham and there'd be 60,000 WASP fans. And you go, well, where have they all come from? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we'll see who's celebrating on Saturday, obviously. But once the trophy's been lifted, once you've had the adulation from the fans, when you walk back down the tunnel into the changing room, what are the celebrations like there? Uh, Well, listen, there's obviously an enormous amount of excitement and all the emotions you'd expect from winning, but a sense of relief, really, that you've ended up getting the result that you wanted because the the opposite emotion is unthinkable and unbearable, quite frankly. Um, So, yeah, listen, there's there's a lot of happiness, smiles, everything. And, And those are the moments that you probably remember more than any because when you shut the door, Everyone inside that changing room is, is a very important part of, of the club and, and of what you've created. So that, those are the really the happiest times, really. And they're the ones that certainly I will cherish and, and remember. And that's when um, you're normally very good at winning, but you're even better at celebrating. So uh, You're very good at celebrating. <laughs> you, well, must, you, gotta, you must have some stories, though. You can always catch up on a good night's sleep, Sar, but never a good <laughs> night out. You know that. That is definitely a mantra, <laughs> Lawrence Delalio, for sure. Now, I've been on many a night out with Lawrence. I've not been on any nights out with you, Brad, but I'm sure that Sarah's team they knew how to celebrate as well yeah i think it shows the the growing maturity with age you know i contrast my first one <laughs> when i think it was 2011 i think it ended up being with matt stevens chris wiles in the west end fire extinguishers going off and then <laughs> 10 years later it's kind of you can't wait to see your kids and your family on the pitch and be able to share that moment with them so again it comes with wherever you are at your point in time but for me the best was always the day after. Because often after the games, there's that sense of relief. There's that emotional fatigue. You feel drained. But it's the day after where you get together, you either at a pub and in the most recent history, Sarah's always went down to Wolfpack in West Hampstead. You know, just a great opportunity to connect and share the moment. Ultimately, the jubilation only lasts a few days. And it's a funny feeling. It's like, you know, some people have to move on and, and go to England international duty. The others go on a summer break. And I think it's only in the latter years that you learn to appreciate that you need to enjoy every moment of getting there. Because even when you get over the line, it's going to start again the next season. So 
making the most of those moments are, are truly special. So let's look ahead then to the final. Brad, you obviously have an insight into that Saracens setup. So give us an idea how they will be preparing. Jamie George said a brilliant line before the semi-final. He said that there was a Michael Jordan-like focus. I think he was predominantly talking about Owen Farrell, but I'd imagine that's probably true of the whole team, right? Yeah, I think you went into that semi-final getting a sense that emotionally the players were in the right position. I think a lot of those players would have had to read and listen and absorb all the sideshow that was going on around the input of other players from other teams. And I think they probably managed that emotional challenge better than Quinn's on the day. Despite obviously going down early, you got a sense that the confidence was still pretty high. And I think being up at halftime was obviously a pivotal moment. Again, you just saw the likes of the sort of big game players, guys who've been there and done that cool, calm, collected. Even when something didn't go well, you know, Quinn's had a fantastic try. When Marcus Smith makes a break, Danny Kerr goes over and there was no panic. And that's probably the biggest part of going into these big games is that you're trying to reduce anxiety levels. You're trying to release players from their own inhibitions and allowing them to be the best versions of themselves. And you got a sense as that game went on, you know, the Saracens team just grew in confidence and were able to put their best foot forward. I think that experience will really bode them well for Twickenham on Saturday. Who's your money on, Lawrence Delalio? I mean, I agree with Brad there. They've got so many test match animals in that Saracens team. They're players that have been there, done it at club level, at international level, at every level, quite frankly. So there is an enormous task ahead for Steve Borthwick and Richard Wigglesworth and Kevin Sinfield to convince their players because if you look at the sides there's not much difference between the two sides but there is in terms of experience of playing at premiership finals and big games so somehow the coaching group have got to bridge that lack of experience that Leicester have because they're at the start of the journey and the most important thing about winning is believing you can win that's before a ball's even been kicked if Leicester go there with belief that they can genuinely win then they've got a chance but my money is definitely on, on Saracens because if Brad and I were playing for Saracens on Saturday with all of those players around you you'd be devastated if you didn't come out on top because in many ways the, the pressure is more on them than it is on Leicester so they have to win and I just think with Owen Farrell with Itoji with Jamie George particularly let alone some of the other players they've got there's so much experience whether they go points up points down they know know how to get over the line and, and win games so as good as Leicester have been this season I'm afraid I'm going to have to go for Saracens and the question I wanted to ask Brad was of all the trophies that Saracens have won let's not get into the controversy around the salary cap but there is a sense that this particular trophy has been won in a slightly different way because they've come back up from the championship they've had to really work hard they maybe haven't got quite the same squad that they had in days gone by and I think if anything this will give them as much satisfaction as anything they've won in the past. Yeah, again, it's that emotion and having to channel those feelings for two years to give yourself that opportunity. I think it will compare with the, the 2011 victory when the team had never been there before to get over the line. They've had to face a similar challenge, you know, being in the doldrums of the championship last year. You got a sense that there was always this focus on the year we come back, we want to be as strong as ever. And a huge emotional and mental challenge. But I think the squad and the, the coaching group and the greatest support staff have done a great job in terms of getting those guys back on task, getting them to put their best foot forward and let their rugby do the talking. And ultimately, I think that's what they've done. And they've got a great opportunity to cap it off on Saturday. 
It's going to be good, isn't it? So you both there? I know you're in Cape Town at the moment. Brad, are you popping on a plane? I am, yeah. I'm uh, flying over on Thursday night, so I can't wait. It'll be the first time being back at Twickenham for quite some time. So really looking forward to it. It's obviously, Lawrence, you'll be there. I'll be taking a gentle walk down to Twickenham and, uh, yeah, <laughs> looking forward to seeing it. So thank you, Sarah, for today. It's been a real honour to, uh, to chat with Brad and with you. And uh, we'll leave the rest of the podcast in your very capable hands. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Okay, so we've come outside. I was going to say to the sunshine, but the sun has suddenly decided to go in. But we're outside anyway, getting some fresh air, which is good, in front of the famous statue. Of course, I'm joined by Mark Lynch now, director of venue here at Twickenham. And Mark, I'd imagine this week leading up to the final is pretty busy for you. It's a pretty busy week, but it's an amazing week. You know, we've got two huge matches, Gallagher Premiership final on Saturday, uh, England Barbarians on Sunday. So two amazing matches. So yeah, really, really busy week, but excited. Give us an idea of how much preparation goes into hosting 82,000 people in that stadium behind us. So taking Premiership final as a perfect example, we start planning pretty much as soon as the final whistle goes into next year. So automatically we're into sales, into marketing, into the ticketing side of things, and then the operational delivery starts about six months out. We've got an amazing team here uh, that pull all of that together. So whether that's from the stewarding side to our catering teams, to the, the operations teams, to the volunteers, and they all get together to pull that together. It's a huge amount of work. And for Saturday, we'll be here at 5.30 in the morning, ready to kick off the day before everybody gets here on site. And we'll be here to about 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question. We just walk up here casually <laughs> at 1 o'clock and head to the bar, head to our seat. And you guys have been here since half five. Half five in the morning, ready to get wow. all the staff in. So a really, really long day, but a brilliant one. To those who haven't been to Twickenham before, how would you sell it? This place has been here since 1909, so it's got a huge amount of history, a huge amount of heritage. It's had some of rugby's greatest moments, and Saturday's going to be no different. You've got Leicester versus Saracens, it's going to be an amazing game, and it's going to set some of those new bits of history uh, for the future. But also, it goes beyond the rugby. We pride ourselves on, on the fan experience. 
So we open the doors at 11.30 for fans coming in, right the way through to seven o'clock, and there's entertainment all day. So taking on Saturday, we've got Sophie Ellis Bexter. I can't wait to see her, by the I way. I know, she's going to be amazing. I'm so excited <laughs> to see her at home. And the feeling as well, yes. and there's kids' activities, there's the fan village, so it's, it's a whole day of activity, really. Any surprising facts? that you can throw at us and mm. figures? Facts and figures. For a big international, we'll do 58,000 plates of food in one day. But on top of that, about 16, 18,000 concession meals will be served. Wow. Um, there's about 3,000 staff that look after that catering operation. And then in addition to that, actually for this Saturday, we've got a new sustainable product coming in. So we've got a drinks cup that will self-destruct. So it breaks down, it gets turned into wax, goes back into the natural cycle of the earth, has absolutely no toxins, no microplastics, nothing. So really, really good product as well. When you said self-destruct then, I had Not visions, exploding, not I had exploding. Visions of caps all over Twiggling on. No, no, just completely <laughs> breaking down in, into nothing. So really good. great sustainable product. Okay, who are you backing at the weekend? Mark, oh, are you allowed to say? Or? I can't say who I'd okay. be backing, but it'll be an amazing day. Whoever wins deserves to win it and it'd be fantastic. So Mark, thanks so much for your time. I know you're a busy man this week. We're going to leave you, go do your thing now. We're going to head into the Rugby Museum. Is that a good place to show everyone around? It's amazing. You'll love it. All the history's in there. Enjoy. Okay, so I've come now to the World Rugby Museum and I found somebody that knows all about what we see around us here. He's a curator here, he's Phil McGowan. Phil, how long has the museum been here at Twickenham? So the RFU's had a museum since the early 1980s. It's had a professional museum over in the East Stand since 1996. That's the one I've been to. Yeah, that, that was yeah. a good museum, yeah. but this is the, the most recent incarnation. This has been here since 2018 uh, and we're in the South Stand now. Right, so how many visitors would you have here? You get around sort of 25 to 35,000 people a year. Okay, so what's the main attraction? What would be the um, main artifact everyone wants to see? Our most famous object is the Calcutta Cup, okay. which is the oldest international football trophy of any of the codes in the world. So everybody knows about that and the story behind it, how it was made from melted down silver rupees, given to the RFU um, and awarded to the winners of the England-Scotland match every year. On top of that, we've also got the oldest international football jersey of any of the codes in the world. So. Rugby had its first international match in 1871. That was a year before the first soccer international and only one jersey survived from that match and we've got it on display. How do you go about getting these artefacts? You know, how do you reach out to people or find them? Yeah. How does that work? So a few different ways. I mean, we've been collecting since 1871. So the RFU collection is here. That includes the, the original minutes from the first meeting and the agreement that was signed at that time. But then we get lots of donations from the families of players. We acquire things as well on the market occasionally. I mean, it's just grown and grown. So Calcutta Cup is what draws people here. What's your favourite part um, of the museum or item? I haven't got a favourite. There's lots of lovely items. I like them all. But um, we've got the, the oldest Lions jersey in the world from 1888, which is a stripy jersey rather than an all-red jersey. We've got the all-red jersey as well, which they were from the 1950s. We've got a 1974 tracksuit top that belonged to Phil Bennett, who very sadly passed away recently. One of the great players of that tour, one of the, the great players of his era, probably the finest fly half in the world when he was playing. And it's a lovely tribute to him to have that on display. I'm not sure many would disagree with you there, Phil. And obviously all our love and thoughts go to Phil and his family. What must be a really difficult time for you. And you've got an exhibition um, here at the moment. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have a different exhibition every year. The one that's currently on display is called In Her Own Words. And it's about the history of the Women's Rugby World Cup, told through the words of the players and the administrators. It's a great story. This was something that a bunch of women got together and organised against contemporary wisdom. They went against the grain, they made something happen despite resistance, and they built this legacy which the, the Women's Rugby World Cup has today. 
Fantastic. Right. And obviously, the big games at the weekend, the big premiership final between Tigers and Saris. Yeah. What can I find in this museum to do with those clubs yeah, or they're okay. special to those clubs? Tell me. So there was a very famous player called Prince Alexander Obolensky who played for Leicester Tigers in the 1930s. Uh, he was a prince. He was a Russian prince, uh, but he escaped Russia as a baby during the, the revolution, went to Oxford University, played rugby, was selected for England in 1936. There was a bit of a controversy. As a Russian, he wasn't strictly eligible to play for England, but he played anyway, and he made his debut against New Zealand and scored two tries. England beat New Zealand for the first time in their history, and that was the end of the debate about his nationality. And we have the passport that he was given later that year on display, as well as his England cap, his cigarette case, because he was a bit of a champagne Charlie, apparently. <laughs> He'd have to be, wouldn't he, yeah. being a prince? And he's England Rose as well. And then just behind opposite that, we've got uh, a jersey that Owen Farrell wore in 2018 when England played New Zealand, uh, which was a match to commemorate the end of the First World War. Obviously, he was the captain of England then, the captain of Saracens now. Phil, thanks for your time. Um, I promise you guys, if you do come to the stadium, you have to come to the World Rugby Museum. It's incredible. You'll really enjoy it. Right, I'm going to head into the stadium now. Is it very far from here? It's just around the corner. Amazing. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Okay, so we've made it into the changing room. This is actually the home dressing room, is where the Tigers will be at the weekend because they finished off the season as top seeds. And there's a wall here, and listed on this wall is every single player that's put on that England jersey from 1870 all the way through to the present day, which is a really nice touch. And I don't know, it gives us a sense of history, I guess, doesn't it, to the players that come in here at change. And this is where they all change. And on the walls here, you've got a list again of players who have sat in these seats. So there you've got Lawrence Delalio, Ben Clark, Nick Easter. Oh, actually, Lawrence has sat in a few of these seats. His name's all over the place. He's been around. Um, but yeah, I'm taking all the forwards sit in this section, not because the seats are wider, but because obviously forwards are listed here. And here you've got Steve Borthwick, Ben Kay, uh, Martin Bayfield has sat in that seat. And then you sit down here and you look up and it's got a bit of a, I suppose it's a bit of a sports cafe vibe because there's luminous lighting. And then you look up and you see all the key words that we often here mentioned in sports, so you've got respect, enjoyment, discipline, sportsmanship, teamwork, which is really nice, isn't it? It's very different to dressing rooms of yesteryear, one would imagine. And then you walk out of the dressing room, which is where obviously the Tigers will be walking out this Saturday. And then some more history on this wall. You've got players who have represented their country the most times, I've guessed. You've got Phil Vickery here with 73 caps. You've got Jason Leonard down there with 114 caps. And what you've also got here to see as well are trophies, titles, um, cups that England have won over the years. So you've got the Grand Slam there. And then here, obviously, taking uh, centre stage is the World Cup in 2003. So some more history um, for the players as they walk out into the tunnel. And then you get to the tunnel. And this is new, I believe, this brand. You've got Shauna Brown there. You've got Owen Farrell, a big sign saying together, greater. And then the players will wait here for a little bit with the mascots before eventually walking through these doors. And I guess for a player, not that I've ever represented my country or ever played actually in the stadium of this, I know you're surprised by that. But when you get to this point and you see like what's in front of you, it's pretty breathtaking. And I suppose for a player, I don't know what they'd be feeling. Excitement, nervousness, but it's pretty spectacular, isn't it? 
So I'm here with Jim Better, who's the head groundsman here at Twickenham. It looks beautiful, by the way, can I just say, but it always does, in fairness. 400 million blades of grass, I read that. Whoa. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so, yeah. so we, we, we have to grow from seed. So that's what we do. We literally strip the surface every summer and we start again, basically. My goodness. Yes, everybody thinks, well, why do you need to do that when it looks so good? But there's a lot of underlying problems. I call it classes problems. Like? There's different grasses. We can get like a weed grass power, which kind of infests over a period of time. We try and manage that through the season, but we can't remove enough of it during the season. So the best thing to do is essentially strip it all back and start again. But a lot of the work that you do, like it's done by hand, right? You know, no sit on lawnmowers here at Twickenham? No, uh, we, we do a significant amount of walking. How far do you walk uh, of a day when you're treating On it? average days, we're probably talking about seven, eight miles a day. I need to come and work here. I'd get my steps would be right up. If <laughs> I did that every it's day. Just, it just makes you eat more. <laughs> that I don't need. That I don't need. Seven miles a day. Yeah, yeah. It, to, to be honest, it's you don't realise you've done it. So unless you've got a pedometer and you check. Wow. Well, I mean, I've been doing grassmanship for 25 years. So. How many of you are on the team then here? How many of you? Uh, so there's four of us full okay. time. So in terms of like this Saturday match day, yeah. how much work um, goes into preparing the field? You know, the week of, say. So. Uh, probably hard to kind of put it into that sort of window. We had the counties the weekend before last. The Monday after that is where I begin prep for this weekend. So it's all in the planning. So I will essentially try and plan out as far as possibly. So I'm already now to a degree, everything's been planned for this for six months. I will maybe tweak and change, but for the best part of it, it's been for six months. So I am now already at renovations in August and September, October is where I'm at in my head. So it goes to show you how far ahead we kind of plan. Now we have a love-hate relationship. Like I love the way the pitch looks. You hate me walking on it. Now see, I don't get this. <laughs> Every Prem final, what shoes has she got on? Don't wear heels. But then you've got 30 rugby players, 18 some rugby players with togs on running all over at the same time. Explain I, I, to me. I know, so it's all about the presentation. So for me, that's, <laughs> it's for the players. Okay. So that's what it's there for. And I don't know, I, I get very protective over, yeah, understandably, over the understandably. work. And it's, it's not that I don't want people to enjoy it. I do want people to enjoy it, but it needs to be managed. Yeah, when pleased. that much work goes into it. Yeah, it does, yeah. And obviously it's, there's, there's areas that get more intensive usage. So obviously broadcasting, we know it's going to be in the two corners. So we have a lot there. The tunnel area obviously is quite a high impact intensive use area. And it's not necessarily due to the play. It's just obviously that nature of funneling down towards the tunnel and coming back out post-match. So you've got obviously the celebrations. The champagne. The yeah, oh, champagne well, cannot yeah. be good for the grass. <laughs> or is it? I don't know. No, so no, no. It's, it's definitely not good for the grass. But I mean, there's a lot of things we kind of have to take into account. I mean, the logos that have to go down, obviously painting grass isn't ideal so we have to do that obviously really quick turnaround we've obviously got to try and put the paint on as late as possible and then remove it as quickly as possible. How long does possible. that take? How long does doing the lines take? So in terms of me marking out the white lines that that's probably a two-hour job okay. um, so I, I do take my time to make sure they're straight obviously yeah. and they're in the right that's place. Tough, <laughs> yeah um, and then but with regards to the logos there's a team that come in and they'll spend probably six seven hours doing those logos that need to go down. Okay and finally this weekend is going to be boiling we are told yes does that make your job a little more difficult it does so because the pitch is a sand construction i have to kind of keep a quite a uniform moisture level in it i don't want it too wet because then that, that affects the play so the players can slip over we have issues with traction which is what we don't want we obviously want the guys to be able to perform and what we'll tend to find is as it heats up over the day 
that moisture is either we're losing it to evapotranspiration or it's slowly moving through the profile. Obviously, I can't water during the day, so I'll have to get that just right in the morning, as late as I possibly can do before the match. I'm just standing here thinking, oh my goodness, my dad would love to be standing here and ask you loads of questions about what you've just talk, spoken about, the weather. And it's really interesting because I think there's so many layers to what you guys do that we just take for granted. We rock up here on match day, we see everything looking lovely and we don't think about the hard work that actually goes into it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I think for me, that's when I know I've done a good job and nobody's talking about the pitch. Because really? normally, like a referee. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think if, if it's a bad pitch, it will just get spoken about. Everybody will see it, whereas yeah. nobody says anything. So listen, last thing. Yeah. So earlier on, I was chatting to Lawrence and I was trying to get stories out of him. He's usually pretty good with stories, but I don't know. He wasn't opening up. But he did say, like, ask you guys, because you guys see everything that happens here post-match and stuff. So if you've got any stories you'd like to tell us <laughs> about Lawrence or anything that happens after a Prem final, like, feel free. No, no, no. No, I'm not even going for it. No, what goes on in Twickenham stays in Twickenham. <sighs> it's frustrating, isn't it? Jim, thank you so much. That was super interesting. Thank you for your time. Cannot wait to the weekend, guys. Can't wait for the final this Saturday. Um, Lawrence, thanks for having me. Back to you. Well, that's all from this episode of Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast. My thanks to Sarah for taking us on that magnificent tour of Twickenham and also to the legend that is Brad Barrett for sharing his memories of all those amazing Premiership finals. Sarah, myself and Brad will, of course, all be at the game on Saturday. It's going to be a cracker. Enjoy the final and we'll see you soon. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.